0: this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. You know, you've heard it a hundred times after the emotional sermon, the invitation is given to ask Jesus into your heart. But what if I told you that that phrase is not in the Bible, that Jesus never spoke that way? What does Jesus ask of his followers and how did they respond? God's doing something here. God is just doing something among this group of people. Can I get an amen? Amen. God's just working in our lives. He's started a movement in us that our elders recognize. We're not always the quickest to recognize things, uh, but we recognize that God's doing a movement in us this year, and we are responding to what God's doing in our church, and we have set this crazy goal of reaching 150 people for Christ this year through the ministry of the orchard church and we're not programming a bunch of like we're not going to do a tent revival or a big downtown out we just want to be faithful and obedient to be god's mouthpiece as ken said last week we just want to be faithful and obedient to just be used by him and we're seeing it happen We're seeing it happen. I mean, I've I've been amazed so far at some of the stories that I've heard and witnessed from you guys. And by the way, you've got a response card. If you've got a story of how God's using you, how you're seeing God bring somebody to Christ through you, write it on your response card. We'd love to tell the story in our staff meeting tomorrow and to our deacons and elders. But we're seeing it happen sometimes. Sometimes it's just a real miraculous cultivation of a relationship, you know, so I'm in El Rey having lunch with Donna Beverly the other day. Donna was sharing her heart about how she just loves the Honduran people, and she had spent 20 years as a part-time missionary in Honduras. And she said, do you think that there are any... I just want to minister to Honduran women especially. And she said, do you think there's any Honduran people here in Elege and... I said, well, you know, I was there with a couple other people, and we were like, well, you know, I mean, we got a Hispanic community here, mostly Guatemalan. Uh, We've never, I've been here for 15 years, never met any Honduran people. It's been all Mexican, Guatemalan, you know, so I just don't think this is the pocket for them, and uh, so she was like, well, I'm just going to keep praying that God brings uh, some Honduran women to me. So we're sitting there talking, waitress comes over, and we meet we meet her, and it turns out she's from Honduras, <laughs> and uh, so Donna starts this conversation, she's like, you're going to be my co-leader in my Bible study, we're starting at my house next week, you're going to come to that, and so she leaves, and a few minutes ago, she comes over, the waitress comes back over, she brings her uh, Hunter and sister with her, and now there's three people that are going to meet over there at her house, praise the Lord. And they don't know Jesus. They they sat they stood there at the table with us and said, no, we don't know Jesus and we don't do church. But now there's a relationship that began at El Rey. No wonder it's called El Rey because El Rey is Spanish for the king. You know, so come on. That's going to be the place of the king. I'm just really excited about it. Uh, also, um, sometimes we're seeing it happen in full-on harvest. So Friday night we had Celebrate Recovery in here. And... Um, I did a full-on gospel presentation and an old-school come-to-the-front response time, and 11 people went from death to life on Friday night. (laughs) 11 people right here at the front of this room. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. and I'm hearing about your three. you know I've challenged you guys to have three people that you're praying for and uh, opening up opportunity. God's going to open up opportunities for you with those people. and this week AJ uh, had one of his three pray to receive Christ this week. So praise the Lord. it's awesome. Just God is doing something and every single time somebody turns their life over to Christ, we're going to turn another light on on that light wall outside that's got 150 lights. And now more and more and more of them are lit And it's going to be exciting to see how God continues to move and to bless And we're going to praise Him for that, aren't we? We're going to praise Him for that So praise the Lord, praise the Lord This series that I'm doing is going to be It's going to be different, okay? It's going to be different from what I typically do I thought, since uh, we're talking about winning our world to Christ That we should just look at how Jesus did it. You know, we've talked about the methods. Are you going to use the bracelet method? Are you going to use the track? Are you going to try to spark a conversation that you nudge? How are you going to do it? Why don't we just learn from the master and see how he does it? So this series is going to be different. We're going to look at four specific case studies in this series of how Jesus won people. In fact, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to, we're going to look today at how he won the disciples. We're going to look next week at his conversation with Nicodemus and see how he managed that. We're going to look at uh, the Sumerian woman and that relationship as it developed on March 19th, and then we're going to look on March 26th at the rich young ruler. And spoiler alert, you're probably already seeing that Jesus wins some, but he doesn't win everyone. So we're going to deal with that. We're going to deal with what does it look like when somebody walks away. We're going to deal with that. So this ought to be a great series. And I hope that you'll be with me through this series throughout the rest of this month. I think it's going to be helpful to you. And um, I think we're just going to learn from the master. And I think that what we find might shock you. What we find in these four case studies might just surprise you a little bit because... I don't know that it's going to be what we actually find as much as, as it's going to be what we don't find. The way Jesus wins people is different from our normal expectations here. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but Jesus never had a worship team play a set with dark lights and smoke machines to be able to set the tone for what he was going to say. And Jesus, as far as we can tell, never conducted a full-on come-to-the-front invitation. That just didn't happen. That's not a Jesus plan of operation. And there was never a time, not one single time, where Jesus says, you know, you need to ask me into your heart. Jesus doesn't even use language like that. That's nowhere in the New Testament. Did you know that? Yeah, so we see, we're going to see that there's no language about that and that there's no language about Jesus being your personal Lord and Savior. It's just not there. So if that's true, why do we do what we do? Why do we say what we say about this? If, if the way Jesus did it is so radically different from the way we do it, shouldn't that rattle us a little bit? Shouldn't that worry us a little bit? And shouldn't we really want to know how Jesus won people? So the goal of this message series is to kind of strip away all of our cultural norms and all of our preferences and all the things that we've kind of piled up on top of it and just go back and rediscover how Jesus won people. Is that good? So I got note sheets for you. You can follow along with my train of thought. Um and I got digital notes for you and I hope that's helpful but here's my big question right at the beginning and it's this first blank on your page have we lost touch with Jesus' salvation plan have we lost touch with it have we, have we so piled on that we've gotten away from what Jesus actually said and did Because Jesus was all about one thing, right? He was all about one thing, and we've talked about it every Sunday so far this year. He was all about this one thing, and it's the redemption of this world. Jesus is all about redemption because everything in this world is designed and created beautifully by God. You remember when he made it all, he pronounced how he felt about it. He said, It is good. He was pleased with all of it. Can you imagine him watching the news today and being pleased? Can you imagine? Can you imagine him listening to today's music and being pleased? Can you imagine him following along, just riding along in the passenger seat with you as you drive on the highway and being pleased? Uh, that's what I thought so he pronounces everything good except for one thing when he gets down to creating the human beings he puts them here on earth and he breathes his own breath into them he doesn't say they're good he says they're what very good very good he is pleased with all of creation and he is super pleased with the human beings it all points to him it's all his it all glorifies him it all squarely belongs to him but then it seems like moments later we chose to rebel against him boom we broke everything right we chose to fall for the lie of the enemy that God doesn't deserve to be God you deserve to be God you should rule your own life you should have your own destiny you can see like he sees know like he knows you should just take that fruit because God knows if you, if you eat the fruit you'll become like him so go for it and so we chose to commit crimes against a holy God it broke everything Romans says that all creation fell at that moment everything fell apart that's why today the world is kind of a disaster It's not because of Democrats and it's not because of Republicans. It's because of sin that has broken everything. That's why our relationships are bad. That's why we have disease. That's why we have homelessness. That's why we have addiction. That's why we have wars. It's because of sin. It's ruined everything. What was beautifully designed by God has been stolen from Him, and He wants it back. And God from the garden has had a plan to redeem it all back to himself. You hear the pronouncement of the curse, but you also see a hint of hope that he's going to do something about it. In fact, his plan really starts to kind of unfold in Genesis 12 when he calls this guy that's been living in Ur of the Chaldees, Abram. And he says, get up from where you've been living and go to where I'll show you. Just follow my lead, get up and go. And I will make you the father of many nations. And he begins to build a people group. It's a long story. It goes throughout the entire rest of the book of Genesis. They end up being in Egypt, which feels like they've been rescued, but it ends up being a prison. Like so many things in this world that aren't him, you feel like it's everything you ever needed, but it really ends up being a prison. And so God miraculously, divinely rescues them from Egypt later on and they come out into the wilderness and he begins to form a relationship with them. He, he begins to build this group of people through which he will one day bring the Redeemer, through which he will bring the one who will actually and finally redeem all of this brokenness back to God. He will finally get back what he deserves and these people lived for that time right and in fact they had prophets that would talk about it Isaiah is one of those and Isaiah has this great messianic passage that we find in Isaiah 61 where he kind of describes the role of the Messiah he says this the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me that's me the Messiah the chosen one in this prophetic word for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed oh they couldn't wait for that day for the good news to finally happen for the comfort to finally come for the captives to finally be released they lived for this but hundreds of years go by and it's literally 700 years later that Jesus shows up on the scene. And early, early, early in his ministry, he goes to his hometown, Nazareth, the place he grew up. And there in the synagogue, he gets the right, the privilege to teach that day. They're like, we know you think you're a rabbi, so why don't you teach today? Jesus Remember when we used to play soccer together? (laughs) Remember when we used to, you know, hang out together? Yeah, well, why don't you teach today? So Jesus picks this passage. And there at his hometown synagogue with all of his childhood friends and his childhood rabbi, he reads this very passage. And everybody in the room knows there's something up with Jesus. Everybody in the room knows that there's something more to Jesus than he's letting on just yet. So he reads this passage and he closes the scroll and he gets really quiet in the room. And everybody's staring at him. What is he going to do now? What is he going to do now? And Jesus looks around and he says, this passage, it's coming true today. It's happening now. This is me. Okay, that's the Steve translation of that passage. But that's basically what he says. That's me. And this makes them furious. And they get angry. This is blasphemy. He's claiming to be the son of God. And so they grab him and they drag him out to a cliff just outside of town because when you blaspheme against God you pay the price and so they're planning to kill him by the way, by the way, in June I'm going to stand at the top of that cliff again because I'm going back to Israel and so I get to go and get to be there and right now there's about 20, a little over 20 of us that are going to go and there's about a little over 90 days until we are going so in a week or so I got to lock the trip down they got to be able to release rooms uh, for other groups. So if you want to go, now's the time to sign up for the Israel trip. You can do it right back there on that QR code that's on that sign underneath where it says Israel, uh, really big. I would love for you to go and stand on this very cliff where they tried to throw Jesus uh, when he claimed to be the Messiah. So we're going to go there. So he stands there and they're about to throw him off and you know the story, right? Did you see it on The Chosen when this happened? Did anybody watch The Chosen besides me? Dude, that show is awesome. Okay, so they drag him to the cliff and he just miraculously walks back through the crowd and walks away, beautifully portrayed in that show, The Chosen. It's an amazing thing and Jesus begins to call his disciples. After this, that's when Jesus begins to call his disciples. It's a little out of order in the chosen, but no big deal. Um, He calls his disciples, and this amazing thing happens when he calls disciples. By the way, how many disciples do we have in the room? Just raise your hand. How many disciples? Okay, great, about 20% of us are disciples. I can see I'm not doing a very good job. (laughs) All right, so we have about 20% disciples in the room. And here's what, here's what I want us to see as we're looking at this case study of how he wins disciples. His call to them is like his call to you because I believe you are a disciple or at least I believe you want to be a disciple. You're somewhere in the discipleship process, I hope and believe. And his call to you is simple. It's simple. It's simple. It's so simple that it's extremely profound. Let's look at it. He calls Peter, Simon Peter, and Andrew, and here's what he says to them. He says, "Come and follow me, for I will make you become fishers of men." That's it. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You think, "Well, that's that's it, that's all." It's even less to Matthew. When he calls Matthew, he says, follow me that's it follow me jesus's call to the disciples is follow me and it's interesting how these future disciples responded right look at the fishermen they immediately left their nets and they followed him for matthew it was very similar he arose and followed jesus So what does this mean? Is Jesus saying, you know, follow me, follow me, like we think of today, follow me on social media? You know, follow me on Facebook? Hey, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube, right? Or follow my career as I kind of climb the ladder, follow, you know, follow my train of thought. Is that what he's saying? These guys knew exactly what he meant. They knew exactly what he meant. They dropped everything and they followed, See, here's the thing about Jesus' call to the disciple. It's the next blank on your page. Jesus' call is all or nothing. His call is all or nothing. Jesus call to follow him. It's not, hey, hey, why don't you, hey, why don't you come try me out on the weekends? no that's not his call his call isn't hey I tell you what I tell you what why don't you let me just give you an inspirational thought in the mornings before your day really gets started no that's not his, his call to us his call isn't hey mm, let's catch lunch together when you have time maybe next week maybe you can work me into your schedule that's not his call his call is all or nothing follow me This is not like us today. I mean, we don't respond. We, for whatever reason, we don't respond like the disciples did then. For whatever reason, today, we have taken the bar of following Jesus, being a disciple, and we have lowered it down to the lowest level it seems that we can. They rose and followed him. We want, we want minimal investment with maximum return we want to put in as little as we possibly can and get as much as we can hope for setting that bar really low we want to we want to pray a magic prayer that makes me a disciple we want to be checking the box and being done with it got my religion in for the week Got my, got my prayer prayed. I got my fire insurance. So I'm good. Jesus, I, I want to have you, you know, in my wallet or in my contacts list, but I don't know that I want to, you know, follow you because he will lead you to your lost neighbors. He will lead you to walking in righteousness He will lead you into generous giving. He will lead you into a radically different life, and we want none of that. And he never, ever, he never, ever pleads with you to just accept me as your personal Lord and Savior. Just accept accept me into your heart. That's, That's nowhere in the scripture at all. That's not accept him into your heart that's not even the way it works accept him who do you think you are he graciously and lovingly accepts us to be his followers not the other way around Jesus only ever actually calls his followers to surrender all and it got real quiet in the room. He calls us to give everything up to follow him. He says it outright in Matthew 16. He says, if any of you, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, You'll save it. Isn't this the opposite of the way we talk about it today? But Jesus is really clear: it's all or nothing. In Luke fourteen, Jesus says, "If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. That includes your father and your mother, your wife and your children, your brothers and your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise." You cannot be my disciple. That sounds harsh. No wonder Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace to the world. I came to bring a what? A sword. And he talks about dividing family member from family member because following costs. It's expensive to follow him. He goes on in this same passage, and look what he says next. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. There it is right there. He's saying that the cost of following me is very, very high. So don't even begin until you count the cost. And in Luke 14, Jesus says, You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You know, I, I say this, and 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 really all of us, including the pastor, go, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I can sing the song. You know, I can stand up in a dark room and raise my hands and say, You call, I'm available. Take all I am, it's all yours. I mean, I can sing the song with my hands up, but give up everything? Follow you? That's not the way we talk about it in church anymore. We talk about what you get out of following Him, we talk about what you will receive. Out of following him The way we set it up in church today In popular Christian teaching Is that you are the beneficiary Of following Jesus But that's not the way Jesus talked about it And that's not the way he thought about it In Jesus' mind You aren't the beneficiary In his mind His father is the beneficiary Because finally When you follow him His father gets back What was stolen from him that's what this is all about that's what redemption really is Jesus is on a redemptive journey it's a journey to the cross and he invites followers to follow him exactly there followers next blank on your page followers must count the cost count the cost this is just not like us is it it's not like us today we'll sing that song I'll, 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 I'm I'll, available I'll go where you want me to go I know people to pray I'll go where you want me to go I'll do what you want me to do until he says okay I want you to sell everything and I want you to go to Guatemala and spend the rest of your life as a missionary there well um, i I'll go serve at Tower Road I I know summer is coming I'll go serve at Tower Road there's Guatemalans there I'll go serve there for a day or two I'll give you my all for an hour in June right I, I mean unless a better offer comes along I mean I'll sign up now but dude if there's a birthday party I didn't know about sorry I gotta be at the birthday party show up I'll show up to serve unless I get a better offer we don't like this talk about Jesus so I think what we lean into a lot is we lean into when we talk about, when we talk about coming to know Jesus we lean into, we lean into the theology of it well, you have to understand about the Trinity and you have to understand about uh, creation. You have to understand about the fall. You have to understand about the, I don't know, dispensation and you have to have a good eschatology and you have to understand it all and know what Jesus meant when he said this and that. We lean into the theology, the doctrine of it all. And we think that it's what we believe or it's how we believe, that's what determines our followership i mean i hear it all the time i hear it from people you know they they're church hopping you know they just aren't happy wherever they are so they hop around and we're usually one stop on their list somewhere you know so they come in here and and i get to meet them and talk to them i love meeting them i I mean i love it but i hear it all the time you know they're i'm just like i'm just looking for a church you know that believes like i believe well who is the subject and who is the object in that quest Are you seeking to wrap theology around yourself or shouldn't you and I be subjecting ourselves to what Jesus teaches regardless of where we find ourselves? Jesus never required his disciples to fill out a theological questionnaire. They didn't recite catechisms. They didn't recite creeds. Now, we have a theological questionnaire. Greg Engler just filled one out not too long ago because Greg and Dan right here uh, next Sunday are going to be installed as new deacons here at the Orchard Church. Very excited about that. And we got a bunch of more guys too and so we examine we examine those guys I mean we definitely want to make sure we're all on the same page you know Brent is one of them uh, all on the same page that we're you know singing the same song that we understand and interpret Jesus and the scriptures in the same way so they, they do that and that's important but Jesus doesn't ever call his followers to acquiesce to a particular doctrine or theology because for Jesus for you to become a follower, next blank, it's not about a doctrine, it's about a person. It's not about following a set of beliefs and learning, well, am I a Calvinist or am I an Arminianist? I think Jesus says, I don't care, follow me. You hear me? Jesus would say, I don't care how you look at it, you just follow me. I don't want you to buy into a particular set of interpretation. I just want you to follow me. It's not a doctrine. It's a person. So Jesus is telling his disciples that I'm going back home. And you're coming behind me. You won't see me for a while, but soon you'll be with me. So get ready because you're going to meet me there soon. And then he says this. He says this to his guys. He says, you know, you know the way where I'm going. And then Thomas responds, no, uh, uh, hello, no, no. We don't, we don't know the way. Um, can you send it to me on the, my Maps app? I, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know how to get to you? We need to know every step of what we should learn and believe to get there, Right? And Jesus says, listen, here's what you need to know. Here's everything you need to know. John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. For Jesus, being a follower isn't about praying a magic prayer or learning all the right things nuances of theology for Jesus being a follower is all about one thing and it's obedience it's obedience to him it's full-on complete absolute obedience to your master that's what it means in John eight thirty-one, Jesus said to the people that believed in him you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching Now, this isn't this right here remain faithful to my teaching. This is not a believe in a doctrinal statement. This is you're my disciples. If you do what I told you to do, if you keep doing what I keep telling you to do, then you are my true disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John 14, Jesus says, If you love me, obey. If you love me, if if you have any love for me, obey me. In John 14, 23, he says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. Now, look at this. Jesus is making it clear that for following him, love equals obedience. You see that? He's saying that love comes with obedience and if you're not obedient, there is not love. Today, we kind of feel like my love for Jesus equals the warm fuzzy I get during the dark room and the beautiful songs, but for Jesus, it was obedience or nothing. It sounds harsh. It sounds heavy. But there's no one that did this better than Jesus himself. Jesus totally led us by example on this. Right? Jesus in John 4 says, My nourishment, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, from finishing his work. You know, I... I'm nourished, I'm edified, I'm built up. I am who I am because I'm doing what he's called me to do. I'm not on my own mission, I'm obeying my father. He says it plainly in John 5. He says, I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Jesus lived a life of obedience Philippians 4 says that he lived the way we should aspire to live, that he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave himself away. He come a, came as a humble servant, obedient all the way to death. That's who Jesus is. Maybe the best expression of this is what Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he's taken to be beaten and fake-trialed and goes to the cross He prays this simple prayer right here in Luke 22. He says, God, it's your will, not mine. I want your will to be done, not mine. He was obedient all the way to death. This was his plan all along is to say, God, your plan is better than my plan. I can't tell you how many times. That's kind of been one of my life sayings. God, your plan is always better than my plan. I don't understand your plan I don't always agree with your plan sometimes I think you get it wrong but God your plan is always better than my plan and I've stood here and told you story after story about how I thought I was on a plan but God changed the plan it was never changed he knew the plan all along but like you I've had my run from Nineveh moments hello God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to the sinners there. And Jonah says, I ain't doing that. No way. And he runs from God. And you know the story. He gets in the boat, and the storm comes. Everybody's panicking, and Jonah knows what's up. Jonah knows why this is happening. Jonah knows what God's doing. Everybody's about to die unless Jonah gets obedient so the way Jonah sees it's him or everybody else so he says throw me over and they throw him over that's dumb why would throwing you over make the storm stop but it did and Jonah goes into the water and into what the belly of a giant fish (laughs) where he stays for three days gross gross and then the fish vomits him out on the shore later on I mean that's enough to tell me do what God says but I don't learn I don't learn I've known that story since I was a little bitty kid haven't you but I had my run from Nineveh there was a time when I would never have said it this way but I really believed chasing after money was much more important than chasing after my rabbi I believed that chasing after providing for my family was much better than following my master And he called me. He had called me to go to Nineveh and preach. And I said, Well, I'll do that one day. I'll do that one day once my kids maybe grow up, once we have all the bills paid. What date is that again? (laughs) I said that 30 years ago. They still aren't. They're bigger now than they were then. A lot bigger now than they were then. I had my run from Nineveh moment and thank the Lord he did not put me through the belly of a fish but boy he let me wander in the wilderness for a while and it took almost a lightning bolt from God it took I've told the story before it took a day where I was in anguish where my wife had told me that she didn't know if this marriage was going to be what she wanted to stay in it took my son who was like a year and a half old God spoke through my son who could barely talk at that time and I'm in anguish driving going, God, everything is falling apart. I'm driving down Lake Margaret Drive in Orlando and God pulled me over on the side of the road. I've Never had it happen before, never had it happen since. He pulled me over on the side of the road. I was on my way to collect a giant check, the biggest paycheck I'd ever collected for doing a contract for a group of people. It was gonna be $30,000. I'd never made that much money for one contract before. I was on my way to deliver the, all the plans and all the stuff. God pulls me over on the side of the road and we had a heart-to-heart there. It wasn't me telling him what was up. It was him telling me what was up. And he told me that day in the car, he says, I'm, I'm done wasting this time. You're gonna obey and you're never gonna see another dollar from, from this line of work. This thing you've been chasing, that's over, you're done. Told me that day. You're never going to see another dollar. I went and took those plans, and to this day, I never have seen that $30,000, never have seen any of it, never. But about a month later, I was a youth pastor at a church locally, and I've been following him in ministry, even though it's meant moving away from family, even though it's meant uprooting and leaving everything we know, multiple times, it's hard to do that, But I just want to do whatever I got to do to follow him. I want to go where he calls me. I'll never go back because the blessings that I've seen, the way that I know him, the way that he has made sure to keep his hands on me and to carry me through all this, I would not trade it for anything. Nothing is worth (laughs) trading that off. Praise the Lord. I just want to follow him and I just want to know him. His plan all along has been to redeem this world by doing it one heart, one life at a time. That's why Jesus reads this prophetic passage from Isaiah. Let's look at it again. In the synagogue, he says, The Spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released. And prisoners will be freed. You're running from him, not following him, and you think what you're finding as you're chasing is everything you need, but it's really just a prison. It's really just gonna keep you locked down and miserable. And it is not worth having compared to knowing him. And the way you know him... is that he's done all the work. He's the one made it possible because your sin separates you from God and keeps you under judgment because God punishes sin. Dude, he's a just God and don't you want a just God? I mean, I want a God that means what he says. I want a God that knows right and wrong and I don't want a God that can be bought off I don't want a God that can be bribed or cheated or do an end run around. I want a God that's just. And so he punishes sin. That means that you and I die for what we've done. But that's why Jesus came, because he loved us so much. He came here and he had no sin of his all, but he went to the cross. And since he did not have to pay the price for his sin, he paid the price for your sin and for my sin. He took the blame and the shame of everything I had ever done on himself and God exhausted all of his wrath against my sin onto Jesus who died in my place. And then proving that the price he paid was sufficient, three days later, he rose from the dead. His price was that good that he rose from the dead and he lives today to call you to follow me. He says, follow me, follow me, give your life to me. And when you follow him, you'll never be able to measure the amount of blessing and love and grace and power and peace that he gives. There is nothing like it. Jesus told us about this when he's talking to his disciples. He says, no one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. No one can really know God unless the Son chooses to reveal God to certain people. That's the way that works. That's why you want to follow him. You want to be close. You want to be as close as you can get, as close as you can get to getting the good stuff. Am I right? I mean, the good stuff is not all about me. It's all about him. But, dude, I want to be in on that because I'm only ever going to find my completion in him. So I want to follow him close. I want to follow him close. I want to hear what he has to offer. And it was this idea that, that generated this blessing in those days. Right, it was this blessing to disciples of the rabbi. I mean, the the way rabbis worked is that they would go from town to town like Jesus the rabbi did. They would go from town to town and they would preach their message and they would have followers, Talmudim, disciples, who would follow along and just go where he went and preach what he preached and did everything that their master said. And they just wanted to be close. They wanted to be as close to him as possible and get as much of the good stuff as they could. And so the blessing was, may you be so close that you are covered in the dust of your rabbi. You're following so close that as he's walking from town to town, he's kicking up dust and you're just, you're taking it all. May you be covered with the dust of your rabbi And what a blessing it was to be that close to your master. In Matthew 13, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, blessed are your eyes because they see. Blessed are your ears because they hear. Okay, I'm just gonna time out. Our world can't see and can't hear our world is locked in horrible miserable pathetic darkness so awful that they're desperate for hope and can find it nowhere and i said it a few weeks ago they're so desperate for it that they'll turn to the government to give them relief they'll turn to they'll turn to mutilating their bodies to find some kind of hope maybe i'm a different gender than i really am They'll turn to drugs, they'll turn to sex, they'll turn to any kind of addiction, just desperate, hoping for some kind of something in their lives. But Jesus says, you follow me, blessed are you, because you can see and you can hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Oh, it's so good to be walking close with the master who chooses to reveal his father to those close to him. Remember that time Jesus is telling the parables he's teaching and he's telling parables that don't hardly make any sense at all. He's just talking and everybody's going, "What are you talking about?" Nobody understands and the disciples clue in on this and they literally pull Jesus aside they're like, "Hey Jesus, why you gotta talk this way? Why don't you just say it, dude? Just say it outright. Why do I keep telling these stories that nobody gets? And Jesus <laughs> says this crazy thing to them in Mark four. He says, "You disciple, you follower, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders." So that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they'll turn to me and be forgiven. Jesus fully acknowledges that some are going to stay on the outside and some are going to be on the inside and it's for the insiders that's where the goodness really is and so it's in that moment that Jesus sits down with them and he begins to unpack okay here's what these parables mean and he shows just those closest to him who he really is and what he's really talking about dude that's where I want to be I want to be following so close that I'm in on the secrets of Jesus amen Follow close. Stop raising your hands, faking it till you make it. Follow close. Please, don't get me wrong. I'm going to be over here in the corner raising my hands. I want you to raise your, please raise your hands. But that's not it. Follow him. Obey him. Walk closely with him. Let him tell you what to do and do it. Let him tell you where to go and go there. Follow him closely In fact, last blank on your page, follow close enough to be covered in his dust.